Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for Tuesday, October 4th. 2022. Now, earlier this year, I did an episode about a part of the 1996 Communications Decency Act called Section 230. It's been in the news a lot over the last couple of years, particularly in U.S. politics. Now, this section says, quote, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider, end quote. Okay, essentially, what this section says is that, say, a web platform, like a social media site, cannot be treated as if it were the responsible party for the stuff that its users post to that platform. So if I jumped onto a social media site to dox someone 
or to spread lies about someone or something or attempt to incite violence, the platform would not be held accountable for my actions. By platform, I really just, I mean lots of stuff, not just social media sites. An internet service provider could be an example, an ISP. ISPs give us the connections that we need in order to interact online. If they were to be held responsible for the stuff that people do when they're online, well, then the whole system would come crashing down pretty quickly. If you could sue an ISP because someone using that ISP posted something that was harmful to you, it it doesn't take long for you to imagine a situation where everybody is suing everyone for everything. Section 230 allows for a couple of other things as well, such as protecting platforms for when they remove, ban, or block posts that violate the platform's rules. So if I were to post something on Facebook that was in violation of Facebook's terms of service, Facebook could totally remove my post and Facebook would not be legally liable for that. I would have no case if I sued the company. I mean, I could sue Facebook, but they could cite Section 230 and a court would find that my lawsuit has no merit because Facebook is allowed to do that. The reason I say that is now the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case that involves Section 230, and it's a case that has a tragedy at the heart of it, which always makes these issues more difficult to navigate because you want to be respectful of the people who are affected by said tragedy. So in 2015, a U.S. citizen named Noemi Gonzalez was killed in Paris during an Islamic State group attack. Her family sued Google, uh, really, you know, YouTube's arm of Google or YouTube's arm of Alphabet, and they were arguing that the company holds partial responsibility for Gonzalez's death due to YouTube's recommendation algorithm. The family's argument is that YouTube's algorithm promoted videos that aim to push people to extremist perspectives, and that as such, YouTube, and by extension Alphabet, should be held accountable for being part of what amounts to an overall recruitment strategy. The case went up to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, and they found that Section 230 provides protection to YouTube against the charges. So the family has then pushed the matter up to the Supreme Court, which did decide to hear the case. You know, the Supreme Court is not required to hear cases. Uh, It gets submissions and then decides which ones it will actually listen to. So this potentially means that the Supreme Court could determine if Section 230 is constitutional or if it's unconstitutional. So potentially the court could strike down Section 230. Uh, And if it does, it's not hard to imagine the flurry of court cases that would originate from all sides because this is Section 230 is one of those policies that gets a lot of flack both from Democrats and Republicans, though for very different reasons. And I'm not saying that the reasons are valid or not valid, but rather that it's it's coming from a different point of view as to why Section 230 uh, is dangerous. Both sides feel this way. But the people who created Section 230 did so knowing that without it, internet companies would have 
no reason to even innovate or create any presence on the internet because if they could be held liable for what someone else posted to that platform, then, you know, there'd be too much risk because you can't control what other people do, right? So it could change everything. In fact, I'm not even sure what it would change into. I, a lot of the internet would just not work with Section 230 removed, uh, or at least it would be bogged down by lawsuits all over the place. However, I have to stress, that's just one potential outcome. The Supreme Court might find that Section 230 needs to be more uh, tightly defined. Maybe it needs to have its own limitations. Maybe it just finds that Section 230 is perfectly cromulent, and ultimately this case gets dismissed. And we're back to where we are already. We don't know, but I will keep following up on it. In a pretty rare move, the United States Federal Communications Commission has brought the hammer down on some telecommunications companies. Now, this has to do with the anti-robocall initiative that launched back in 2020. So the FCC required all telecommunications companies in the U.S. to comply with anti-robocall protocols called Stir and Shaken. The largest telecommunications companies had a tighter deadline to comply with these rules. They had to do it within a year. Uh, and the smaller regional companies were given a little bit more time to get up to speed. Well, now the FCC has identified seven voice service carriers in the U.S. that have failed to meet the requirements of this set of protocols. And the FCC chairwoman, Jessica Rosenworcel, says that those companies will have two weeks to fix this or else the FCC is going to exclude those voice carriers from America's phone networks. Now, that means is the, the FCC is going to issue a ban that all other cell or telecommunications providers are going to have to follow where they will have to block any call originating from within those seven networks. So if you are a customer of any of those networks, and you try to make a call to anyone else in the U.S., your call will not go through because it will be blocked, assuming that they're not on the same network you're on, in which case, you know, you might be able to have calls within your network, but not outside of it. The networks include uh, Akabis, that's A-K-A-B-I-S, Cloud4, Global UC, Horizon Technology Group, Morse Communications, Sharon Telephone Company, and Southwest Arkansas Telecommunications and Technology. The clock is ticking for these companies to get up to speed, and hopefully, at the end of all this, Americans will experience a significant decrease in robocalls. Another U.S. agency that's gearing up to make an impact is the FTC, or Federal Trade Commission. It announced an upcoming event on October 19th that will include experts in several fields, including marketing, psychology, and child development, to determine, quote, what measures should be implemented to protect children from manipulative advertising, end quote. So this isn't to try and find out if advertising is manipulative. It's already taken that as uh, a given, which makes sense, because it's not like we have any lack of evidence on this. They're saying, no, advertising is manipulative. In fact, it's kind of its purpose, is to manipulate you into buying something or convincing your parents, in the case of children, to buy something. So the process they're going to follow could include things like 
examining advertising that could be thought of as crossing the boundary to pass itself off as entertainment. So to a child, it might be as if they're watching a show, but that show itself is really a commercial. Honestly, if you were to ask me about my favorite shows as a kid, all of them were effectively just commercials for toys. Like <laughs> all, all the shows I loved as a kid were really the thinnest of excuses to show off a bunch of characters and vehicles and sets that would ultimately be sold as play sets and, and action figures and stuff. So I kind of, I'm on board with this because I've definitely been the target of this sort of marketing in my own past. And I'm sure all of you out there have too, at some extent. So the FCC is also involved with this particular process. The FCC is giving the public the opportunity to comment on issues that are brought up during this October 19th event. So after the event and until November 18th, the general public will be allowed to make comments on, a, on the matter on a dedicated website. There's been a steadily growing push in the United States to establish more defined and firm privacy protections for U.S. citizens, particularly for children, which is nice. Uh, they have been so lax for so long that it's really an uphill battle at this point because, you know, we've kind of we kind of settled into complacency when it came to protecting our own privacy. And as a result, we have all these different systems in place that really prey upon our private information or have convinced us to essentially hand over that private information. Um, and so correcting that now is, is a lot harder than building in those protections from the beginning. But still, better late than never, I guess. Okay, I've got a bunch more stories to go through, but before we get to any of those, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. <laughs> People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy. Yeah. Right? And basically have conversations 
questions that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. We're back. Regular listeners of this show likely already know that I am something of a metaverse skeptic. I have not kept my opinions about the metaverse very, you know, private. <laughs> but in an interview with a Dutch publication called Bright, Apple CEO Tim Cook also expressed some skepticism and criticism about the whole metaverse craze. Uh, one of Cook's arguments is that the metaverse really isn't a thing yet, and no one really has a firm definition of it. There are a lot of different visions, some of which have very little overlap with each other that everyone is calling a metaverse. Uh, there's a lot of speculation around it. There are a lot of questionable businesses popping up around it. And really, you've got dozens or even hundreds of different concepts about what the metaverse even is or will be. Then Tim Cook also argues that technologies like VR are not likely to pull us into using them extensively as the new way to interact online. We might use them on occasion for specific tasks, maybe like uh, playing a VR game or maybe watching some entertainment, or perhaps, you know, if you're working in architecture, maybe you're using VR to, you know, move around a virtual model or something. But Cook does not anticipate VR replacing how we currently interact with the online world. And I'm tempted to side with Cook on this. However, I also admit, I am getting older and I am more likely to resist some ideas as I get older. So it's also possible that old folks like myself are just way off base, that you know we don't see this as the future because we're too mired in the past. That is possible. However, right now I see the metaverse as mostly a buzzword that is covering up a flurry of activity that's really geared to cash in on any sort of excitement about the idea of a metaverse. And I include stuff like NFTs in that. Again, not to say that NFTs won't have a valid place, but they were really treated as 
speculative commodities early on, and that damaged the the image of NFTs moving forward. Also, Web3 concepts, I find those to be pretty questionable in a lot of cases. And obviously, there are more examples than just that. And I should also acknowledge that iHeartRadio has gotten into the metaverse playing ground on platforms like Roblox and Fortnite. iHeartRadio has created virtual spaces for folks to gather at within these games and these platforms where they can do stuff like do little virtual activities and even attend virtual concerts. Now, I admit, I just don't get the appeal. I mean, I get the appeal of the gaming material, like the stuff that is kind of light, almost like it reminds me kind of of mobile games. Like it's that kind of level of game engagement. I get the appeal of that. I mean, these games exist because they tap into something that's very human, but I do not get the appeal of going to a virtual concert. Um, I did spend some time in the Roblox iHeart area. I played around a bit, but you know, beyond some pretty simple game mechanics, Uh, It just wasn't my thing, so I kind of bounced from it. But again, I have to admit, you know, I'm I'm descending into grumpy old man territory, and that may just be the reason why I didn't get the appeal. Uh, Also, I should add that I didn't recognize any of the music acts that were had, you know, upcoming concerts because the stuff I listened to comes from a different era. And uh, so, yeah, I look at the names of the artists who are having these virtual concerts and uh, I don't recognize any of them. So I am way out of the loop. And again, I think that's because I'm getting old. But yeah, I'm curious if any of you out there attend any virtual concerts. What did you think? Was it appealing? Was the uh, experience compelling? Like what made it different from, say, watching a video of a band play? Uh, Does it compare at all with being in a physical venue and watching a band play? I honestly don't know because I have not experienced it yet. And if you have, I'm really curious to hear about it. Moving on, Google has steadily been winding down its products and services in China over the last several years. And this week, Google shut down its Google Translate service within China citing low usage as the reason behind this decision, which, you know, is pretty much the same reason Google chose to shut down the Stadia service in general. Now, in other cases with Google's products in China, Google either shut down services because of government interference. So, you know, there was a lot of censorship issues that just made it untenable to continue operating those services in China. Or... It didn't really have a choice. The Chinese government just came in and started blocking different Google services like Google Maps and things like that. And I feel like the last decade or so has been one in which companies have realized there's a hefty cost to attempting to access the huge market of China. Anyway, Google still has a couple of products that are active in China But it remains to be seen if those stick around for very long or if China just leans heavily on uh, the native companies within the country to provide the services that Google would otherwise be involved with. Okay, let's talk about YouTube some more. We mentioned it previously in the Supreme Court case that uh, is coming up, but now it's a, a totally different story. Whenever it comes to 
ads on YouTube, I actually have to read up on articles about it because as I mentioned in yesterday's episode, I'm actually subscribed to YouTube Premium. And just to be clear, uh, that's not how I started out. I didn't start out subscribed to that. I was actually subscribed to a totally different service that ultimately got folded into YouTube Premium and my subscription just kind of rolled over and I kept it. Anyway, this means that when I go on YouTube, I don't actually experience ads on the site. So I didn't notice any ad creep or changes in ad placement because I'd never see them, which means that when I read about it, it really shocks me. <laughs> so for example, in August, YouTube was reportedly testing out uh, a different ad approach and sometimes had as many as 10 unskippable ads before a video. For a lot of you, this probably isn't news. It was totally news to me and shocking. I, I could not believe that they would put up to 10 unskippable ads before a video plays. That's just way too much, particularly as YouTube is starting to shift its preferences once again. So by that, I mean, for a very long time, YouTube prioritized short form videos. In fact, the site had a strict limit on how long videos could be. You know, you could only upload videos of up to 10 minutes in length for the longest time. And then gradually YouTube relaxed that. And then YouTube's algorithm started to prioritize longer form content, probably because it would keep people on the platform longer. You know, they would stick to watch an entire video. So a long video was prioritized by the algorithm. But now we're starting to see a shift again, more back to short form as YouTube tries to deal with the 800 pound gorilla in the room, which is TikTok. TikTok threatens all social video platforms out there. So Google, like a lot of them, are trying to kind of cater to that short form experience to maybe tempt some of TikTok's audience away to join the platform. Well, now Google appears to be testing out a new way to urge folks to subscribe to YouTube Premium by restricting 4K resolution content to YouTube Premium subscribers. Uh, Kodrat Nistor, and I apologize for the butchering of that name, from the site Notebook Check, wrote about this, saying that YouTube hasn't commented on, on anything related to this allegation, but that some users online in things like Reddit groups have claimed to encounter videos that offer a higher resolution version of that video, but with the message tap to upgrade, meaning you would only get access to that high resolution version if you upgraded to a YouTube premium account. Nistor was actually unable to replicate this issue themselves because they are in Romania and apparently it's not being tested there. So this does look like if it is a thing, it's a limited test. And it's possible that it never goes anywhere else. It may be that they test it, they decide against it, and we never hear about it again. Or it could mean that the higher resolution versions of videos are going to be locked behind a subscription paywall in the future. Okay, I've got a few more stories I want to cover. Before I get to those, let's take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. 
on the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. For this next story, we're going back to China. There's a lot of flip-flopping around here. It was hard to organize this episode because a lot of the the stories had kind of a common thread to them. Uh, But ultimately, you you just do what you can do. So the U.S. White House is soon going to release some more restrictions regarding what kind of U.S. tech can be sold in China. And this is all about a concern that the Chinese could use U.S produced technologies for Chinese military applications. And considering the United States' relationship with China, that stands as a potential problem. So 
the rumored list of restrictions includes expanding the type that were placed on uh, Huawei, which is a Chinese telecommunications company. So we're probably going to see some similar restrictions that will cover entities like Chinese government research laboratories, um, semiconductor companies in China, as well as academic institutions in the country. The move might also shift China's positions in various tech fields. Like, it's not just to prevent China from incorporating these U.S.-created technologies into Chinese military applications, but also to shift the balance of technological superiority in specific areas of tech, like supercomputing or AI. You've probably heard about how AI is like the next uh, weapons race and that China is a leader in the field. So you could also think of this as firing shots in the war of establishing technological superiority. Fun stuff. Not long ago, I talked about a proposed law in the EU that would require all smartphone manufacturers to adopt the USB-C standard for charging. The same rule applies to devices like cameras and tablets and will eventually apply to laptops. So this law passed with overwhelming support. Um, more than 600 representatives voted in favor. Only 13 voted against it. It's definitely something that has some big advantages. So for consumers, this means that their cables will fit all these basic devices interchangeably, right? You, as long as you have USB-C cables, you're good to go. It doesn't matter what device you have. It doesn't matter what manufacturer created it. Your cable's going to fit that device. So you don't have to sort through a mass of tangled wires trying to find the one that works with a specific gadget. This also can cut back on e-waste because you don't need charging cables for each and every thing because you're not going to be charging everything all the time <laughs> at the same time. Uh, you can use the same cable to charge multiple different devices over time. Uh, really, you just have to buy a new one if an old one wears out or stops working, or if you do need to have an extra one because you've got a couple of devices that you use frequently enough that it would be inconvenient otherwise. But it does cut way back on e-waste. However, for companies like Apple, it becomes a big headache. It means having to accommodate the USB-C standard. And considering the form factor of products like the iPhone, that pretty much means abandoning the proprietary lightning port and switching to USB-C, you know, as opposed to, say, supporting both at the same time. Uh, a lot of people claim that this is just long overdue and that this should have been done years ago. Honestly, I would like to see something like this pushed in America because it gets really frustrating when you try to track down a specific cable for a specific device. And while I've singled out Apple in this news item, in my own experience, the company that did this the most was Sony. Like I would get a Sony gadget and it would have its own onboard battery that you would charge by plugging in a, a you know, a plug into the wall and attach the cable to the device. But it was always a proprietary cable that, you know, you couldn't just get a USB cable. Those wouldn't work. It wouldn't fit the port. And uh, yeah, Sony was really bad about that. So I would love to see this in America. It may not matter because companies may just switch worldwide to more of a universal support of USB-C because if you have to do it in Europe, you might as well do it everywhere, right? That's a possibility. 
Anyway, starting in late 2024, all smartphones, tablets, and cameras sold in the EU must be USB-C compatible. Laptop manufacturers will have a little more time to comply with those rules coming into effect in 2026. There's a super tanker on the seas called the New Aiden that is testing out some new old tech. And by that, I mean sails. But these aren't the big canvas sails you would see on tall ships in pirate movies. Uh, this super tanker, which is 333 meters long, or 1,093 feet long, and can hold around 2 million barrels of crude oil, is using a set of four carbon fiber retractable sails to provide some of the energy needed to move this big old thing around. New Atlas reports that the sails on this ship can reduce fuel consumption by nearly 10%. So this massive ship is still using fuel. Also, it's being used to transport fossil fuels. So it's not like this is a huge triumph for the environment or anything like that. But it could show that similar technologies on other types of ships will follow and collectively help reduce fuel consumption and cut down on issues like pollution and contributions to climate change. The sails themselves measure 40 meters in height when fully deployed. That's about 130 feet. And they connect to masts that can adjust the angle of the sails so that they are harnessing the power of the wind at maximum efficiency, even as the wind shifts around. It's pretty neat technology, and my hope is that we're going to see more innovation in this space so that the shipping industry can reduce carbon emissions significantly over the near future. Finally, one story that did a quick 180 from the end of last week to the beginning of this week is playing out on Ars Technica. All right, this really all starts with a story that was published in The Telegraph, which said that actor Bruce Willis had sold the rights to his likeness to a company called Deep Cake, based out of Georgia. Uh, not my home state, but rather the Republic over in Eurasia. Ars Technica had reported on this story last week. They cited the Telegraph article, but they, even when they published the article, they noted that some details mentioned in the Telegraph were unverifiable, including one that said that Willis is the first actor to officially sell his likeness to a deep fake company. But now Bruce Willis's agent has come forward denying that the actor ever made such an arrangement with Deep Cake which has been using a digital replica of Bruce Willis to market its own products and services to potential customers. Deep Cake, for what it's worth, claims that it has a formal arrangement with Willis to use his likeness, specifically for a commercial that ran in Russia in 2021. Willis's representatives deny that he ever made such an agreement. This is both fascinating and terrifying. I mean, one of the many concerns folks have about deepfakes is that using the right combination of software, you can replicate a person's appearance, their voice, their mannerisms to a degree that could, if done well enough, make that person irrelevant for certain types of projects, you know, like movies or commercials or podcasts. Now, I'm not saying that this is the most important concern that folks have regarding deepfakes. There are plenty of others that have more broad effects than the impact of a specific person's career. But you know, as someone who could potentially be affected by this at some point, it definitely raises concerns. Now, here's the nice thing. If I am ever replaced by a robot version of me, y'all will still get the show. You might just get more AI-related dad jokes and puns. Anyway, I'm interested to see how this story plays out. It could serve as an early battleground for things like rights to your own likeness and voice, and maybe even lead to legislation meant to help protect that kind of thing. Which, you know, seems wild. But these are interesting times. 
That wraps it up for this news episode. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, reach out to me on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 